I don't know if it's just me, but from my perspective, houses in Abu Dhabi tend to be kind of funny. They're kind of quirky. Like my house, for example, has eight bathrooms. Yes, eight. I mean, that's kind of overkill. There's six people, but there's eight bathrooms. And so in, but there's no closet. So it's like, how do you explain this overabundance of having all of these extra washrooms, but not even one storage space in the entire house? So what we've done is we've taken one of the, the overabundance of bathrooms, and now we use one as our storage room. So it's like our storage bathroom. And so things like your suitcases and boxes and things that you don't use all the time end up getting put in this storage bathroom. Now, I don't know if it's just me that's done this, but I doubt it. If you have a, this room that becomes like the dumping ground for, for your, your home, and so uh, boxes and extra items, it all just kind of gets dumped in this room. And, and this one bathroom in our house I was so overflowing that he recently I had to go in there to get a ladder out, and I couldn't even get in the room. Like, I was having to like, push the door to get in so much stuff that was in there. And so I just say, forget it. I don't have to change the light bulb that bad. Just forget the ladder. Forget going in that room. And it can be so easy to just ignore it. And so maybe you, in your house, you have your junk closet or your junk drawer or whatever. And it becomes so easy to just say, you know what? The rest of the house looks good. The house is neat and clean and organized. But that one room, yeah, I'm going to just not go in there. I'm going to just forget about that one because that's too much work, too messy, Let's just pretend it doesn't even exist. And yet, the reality is that that room still is in your house, and that room is still a disaster and needs to be cleaned and changed. And this is a metaphor for our very lives, where we can all have areas or rooms in the house of our lives that we know needs to be cleaned and needs to be changed. And yet, Oftentimes, we think that's just too much work. I don't even know where to begin, and so let's just keep that door closed, and let's just ignore that room because maybe that area is a little bit too painful in your life, and so you rather just ignore it and focus on the other areas that you think look better. Can you relate? Maybe you've recently come to the realization that your life isn't quite turning out the way you thought it would, and that's painful to face. Maybe you're realizing that, again, if you're honest with yourself, that you have some shattered dreams, dreams that you've had for a long time, and as the years roll by, you're realizing, man, it's just not going to happen, and you feel like it's just been destroyed. Maybe you're facing uncertainty or disappointment or some deep pain in your life. Maybe, maybe for you it's a, a sinful habit or pattern, or maybe it's an attitude that you know needs to change. And maybe even now as we've been singing, maybe you have felt God's Spirit revealing to you areas that you know need to change, but it's just overwhelming. It's just, it just feels like it's just too much, it's, or it's, maybe it's just scary. Maybe even the idea of actually having to face that is terrifying to you. But today, the Spirit of God 
is calling out to you. He's calling you again. He's calling you to go deeper. The Spirit is calling you to trust Him more fully, to know Him more intimately, to have greater joy in Him, to have greater awareness of His presence. He's calling you to experience His freedom, His love, His mercy, His healing, His transformation. And He's calling you because He wants to display His glory through you. And He does it by transforming your whole life. And so I want to read a text out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that describes this plan of our God to transform us through His Spirit for His glory. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put on a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen. The primary truth here, the main idea from this paragraph in God's Word is that believers are progressively being transformed into the image of Jesus. And so disciples of Jesus are being progressively transformed into the image of Jesus. So being a disciple means you have his spirit and he is transforming. He is changing your character so that it matches up with the character of Jesus. So that your calling and your character begin to match up. Now this does not happen all at once. It says here, from one degree to another, from glory to glory. So from one degree of glory to another, we are being made more to reflect the glorious character of our God. So this is a process. He says degree by degree. And so sanctification, the process of being more holy, more like Jesus, is an ongoing, daily, progressive reality. And so God is glorified through our daily, ongoing, crying out, trusting Him to continue to change us. And I want to just just stop here for a moment and ask you to just close your eyes, just for a moment. And ask the Spirit, ask Him to reveal to you. Is there anger that you know you need to let go of? 
Is there bitterness? Resentment? A sinful pattern? Brokenness? A hurt? What is it in your life that you need to just cry out and let God, through his spirit, come and heal? You can open your eyes, but let's remain this, in this state of prayerfully asking God to reveal. Where is it in your life that you know that you need more of his healing, restoring, transforming work? Likely you do know what it is. Maybe no one else knows, but God knows and he can reveal that to you. The question for us today is how? So very specifically, how do we experience this healing and deliverance and this lasting heart change that we all crave? We want it. We're hungry for it. How does it happen? How does God do this transformation in our lives. Well, I can tell you it's all about your sight. We are changed by seeing. So I want to explain this from God's word. How do we experience transformation? Well, number one, we experience it by having our spiritual blindness removed. This is how we're transformed. Number one, God's spirit removes our spiritual blindness. So he heals our blindness. In verses 12 through 15 that we just read, the Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write this truth by using an example from ancient Israel in the Old Testament where Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai where God communicated his will, his, his word for his people through his prophet his servant Moses. Now, after being in the presence of God, Moses' face was shining brightly. It was just this radiating of God's glory after he was in the presence of God. Now, this terrified the people. They were all so afraid of, of Moses' face shining, so he put a veil to cover his face. Now, Moses is not divine. He's a human, just like we are. And so the further he got away from God's presence on the mountain, the more that the glory of God would fade. It says here that it would come to an end in verse 13. And so his glory, it was fading. And so he put on this veil also so that people wouldn't see that happening. Now, verse 13 the Apostle Paul is in interpreting what's happening with Moses' face displaying God's glory, having a veil to cover it. And so Paul here, again, Spirit's inspiration, he is interpreting this in a very specific way. He's saying that this is a picture of, it says, the hardness of mind. So verse 14 says, their minds were hardened. And so he is comparing the fact that Moses had his face and was covering God's glory, he's comparing that to spiritual blindness. So people in, in the ancient world, ancient Israelites, there was a veil that was covering so that they couldn't understand the true meaning of the law. And so Moses revealed the law. 
he revealed God's will. And so there were people that heard Moses revealed the law, and they thought, oh, if we just obey the law, if we just do all of these good things revealed in the law, then we will be saved. So we'll earn our salvation. But the problem is, and God knows this, no one could ever do that. No one can keep the law perfectly. It's not possible. And so you had people that were thinking that they could somehow do enough good by obeying the law that did reveal God's holy requirements. But the law doesn't just reveal God's holy standard. The law also reveals God's mercy. It reveals God's mercy because God knows that we can't keep it. We can't earn it. We're not good enough. We fail. And so what did he do? He provided a Passover lamb. He provided the sacrificial system so that the sin of people would be covered by the blood Now, granted, this was all pointing to the ultimate and the final Passover lamb. As John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. This is Jesus. And so the entire Old Testament law is fulfilled in the person and life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is what the whole law was about. The law, by revealing God's holy standard, was intended to drive people to faith, to realize that we can't keep it, and we need to trust the Messiah, the promised Messiah, that he would come, and he would do what all of us could not do. And so by seeing God's holy standard, it should drive us to our knees to trust Jesus and have his spirit then come and change us and give us hearts that want to obey the law. So the point of the law was salvation through Messiah. And verse 14 says, For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. People that are still trying to earn their own salvation through the law, they're blind. This empty religion checking religious boxes, but not seeing that it's all about trust in Messiah. And so this veil is a metaphor for spiritual blindness. And the Old Testament is full of this. Ezekiel 12, verse 2 says, You dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes but do not see. So they have eyes but can't see. And Jeremiah 5.21 says, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not. And so so you have rebellion and senseless and foolish people who see with their physical eyes, but their eyes of faith, spiritual eyes, eyes of their heart are blind. And early in the gathering, you read out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prayed that God's people would have, he says, the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Praying that we would have our eyes open, that we would see God, see clearly the hope that we have. And so all of us in our natural state are spiritually blind. We can't see ourselves, we can't see our sin, and we can't see the glory of God. We're blind. And so if you want a one-word description, this is on the screen, of what does it look like to be spiritually blind, 
hardened. This is the word. You see it in verse 14. A hardened mind. And so to be spiritually blind is to be hardened. A hardened mind is blind to the glory of Jesus. A hardened mind does not see the faithfulness of God, does not sense, does not believe that God loves him or her. A hardened mind and heart has not been changed by the Spirit of God, has not tasted the mercy of God, doesn't know what it is to be forgiven, has not seen the glory of Jesus, and so therefore sees no worth in Jesus. Sure, acknowledge him as a good teacher or as a prophet, yeah, but infinite value and worth for Jesus, no, because they're blind. So a hardened, blind heart is one that is lost in darkness, that is selfish, and that seeks idols for joy or turns to empty religion, works of the law to earn salvation. And so this empty existence that is being blind and hardened has no joy. It's not possible. It's an empty existence that is far from God. But we have a God who is at work in opening the eyes of the blind and allowing people to see the truth to see their own sin, to see that Jesus came and that he died on the cross and took our pain, our shame, our guilt, paid for it, died, is resurrected and offers us forgiveness and we can see it and believe it and treasure it. And so that's what it says in verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The spiritual blindness is healed and we can see clearly that we can't earn our salvation. We, we see clearly that it all points to Jesus and our lives are about loving and trusting and obeying Jesus. But only the Holy Spirit can do this. It says in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And this comes from the Lord, it says in verse 18, who is the Spirit. Only the Spirit of God can open the eyes of the blind and help us to even see our condition. And so being transformed is the work of God. We can't change ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We must have our eyes open to see the stunning beauty and glory of our King Jesus. But why is this transformation linked with sight? Why do you think? Why is this blindness is the problem? And so being able to be transformed is having sight. Why? Because God's purpose in all that he does, everything that God does in creation, redemption, is to display his glory. And so God's aim in creation and, again, in redemption is to have all eyes on him. He is worthy and he delights in having all eyes on him. And so God is passionate about his glory. And we are created in his image. And so we, too, have been created to be passionate about the glory of God. And so your purpose as an image bearer is to reflect 
God's glory back to him. This is, this is what, why we exist. And so God displays his glory, and then he, by opening our eyes, we're able to see it, able to taste it, desire it, long for it, yearn for it, rejoice in it, be filled by it, be satisfied by it. And then to reflect it back to him as an expression of worship. This is what worship is. And why? For our own joy. God is doing this for the enjoyment of his people. And this is why there is breath in your lungs. This is why we exist to joyfully reflect the glory of God back to his creation and to him. And so how does this happen? How do we live like this? where we are enthralled by the glory of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the better and the final Moses who displays the glory of God with his face that radiates God's glory through the gospel, and yet the, the glory never fades off of Jesus. He is the final, better Moses who perfectly, brilliantly displays God's glory this soul-satisfying, infinite glory. And so due to the cross of Christ, we can be forgiven and be one and at peace with God. So God's Spirit opens our eyes, transforms our hearts that we see our sin, and then we hate it because we see more beauty in Jesus. And verse 12 says, this gives us hope, and we can be bold. And so we're filled with hope. And so a believer, he says, I don't have any hope. Are you serious? No hope. Jesus is alive and his spirit is in you. You have hope. If there's one thing that we have, it's hope. A lot of things maybe we don't have, but we have this. We have hope. And we are the dispensers of it. We're the ones that should give hope to other people because of the hope that we have, and we can be bold. We can have audacious faith to ask God boldly. Ask him for what? Ask him to change us and to be used to display his glory and see more lives changed. And I can assure you, living this way is going to have you filled with so much joy, so much more than living for the things that this world would offer. But let's just be honest. Let's, it's just us, right? Let's just be honest for a moment. Even those of us that have had our eyes opened, we can still struggle. We can still shift our gaze away from Jesus, and we can still be even blind to our own sinful tendencies. We can even lie to ourselves and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine, when really we're not. And deep down inside, we know we're not, but we want to be. And so we say that we are. But if we're honest, we're not fine. You're like, you're not fine. I know you want to be fine, but are you? Are you really doing well? Are you truly healthy today? I know where you want to be. We all want to be there, but are you there today? We need to be honest with ourselves. Lying to ourselves won't help us. And so praise God who opens our eyes and lets us see the truth of who we are and who he is. And 
who helps us refocus. And so number two, how do we experience transformation? Number two, by continually seeing Jesus. So one is by having our blindness removed. But So once the blindness is gone, we can see, we must, number two, continually see Jesus. We see this in verses 16 through 18. He says, so when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The blindness is gone. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. When the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he says, beholding the glory of the Lord, you're being transformed. This is how it happens. The Spirit of God transforms you, changes you, frees you, heals you when you're beholding, having your eyes fixed on Jesus. How? He says, from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory, he is changing you to have more of his character that is glorious. And so we're being changed from degree to degree, from glory to glory, and we're in this, this process of being glorified. And it is, it's amazing that we get to be partakers of this, that God would save us and let us participate in this divine activity of knowing him and of being glorified and reflecting his character. But here's the question. How do you see Jesus? He's not here at least not physically. Now, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Now, his spirit is here. He's in us. And we sense his presence. But how do you see Jesus? Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So, if faith comes by hearing, then how do we behold? How do we see? Well, I'll say it this way. Seeing the glory of God happens in your heart when you hear the gospel made possible through the Spirit. And so I'll say it this way. Hearing leads to seeing. Hearing leads to seeing. See, the glory of God is what's ultimate. That's what's ultimate. See, God created us to see and then to enjoy his glory. And so the word of God, the Bible, the word here serves to reveal the glory of God. And so therefore we must hear God's word for then our faith to be activated. And then with the eyes of faith in our hearts, we can see the glory of God. The Bible never talks about hearing the glory of God. It doesn't. You hear his word. But we are called to behold. We are called to see the glory of God. Seeing is the goal. Hearing is the means. We must hear his word and let it sink in deep in order for us to then see his infinite beauty and glory. So that we'll hunger for it. And how does this work? Seeing and enjoying word and spirit. How does this work? You focus on Jesus by pursuing him in the word through the power of his spirit, enjoying his presence, 
prayer, talking to Jesus throughout your day, not just at your quiet time, but throughout your day in conversation, talking and remembering for your glory, Jesus, just for you. I want more of you throughout your day talking to him. And this seeing Jesus leads to transformation. But if you're here today and you're not a believer, what you need is for the first time to see his glory. Where do you look? Look to the cross. On the cross, you see the greatest display of God's glory. Jesus is God in the flesh dying for you. If you will trust him, he will save you. Can you see it? Can you see a glimpse of his glory? If you're a follower of Jesus already, as most of us are, you need to know this principle. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. And so we will take on the character of whatever has your focus. You'll become what you behold. So what you are worshiping is what you are beholding. And as always, we take on the character of whatever, whoever we worship. And so if you are beholding sex, if that is your greatest value, if that is what satisfies you and that is what you hunger for, and so your focus is on sexuality, so that's what you're beholding, this is the idol of sex, then what's going to happen? You'll take on that character. You'll become sexually immoral. Lots of ways, pornography, adultery, you you name it. It's going to happen because that's what your focus is on. You'll take on that character. If, if your focus is on money and getting it, acquiring it, and getting more of it, and if that's your primary focus and that's what your idol is, you'll take on that character. You'll be a greedy person who's not generous and never has enough. However, if we are beholding Jesus, if we are worshiping him and he's our greatest desire, by beholding Jesus, you take on Jesus' character. You become more like We become what we behold. Now, I asked you earlier, what does it look like to be spiritually blind? And we said it's being hardened from verse 14. So what does it look like to have spiritual sight? We're talking about seeing Jesus. So what what does it look like here on the screen? Freedom. This is what it looks like. It says it in verse 17. The Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. So the eyes to see Jesus is freedom. Now, not freedom from God. Who would ever want that? Well, you're thinking, well, me. Maybe some people in here actually, maybe you think that having God is very restrictive. Maybe you think being a Christian has too many rules and and you want your freedom to live however you want. And so God is this imposing, domineering, taking away your freedom deity. That's not true. That is not true. Having God gives you freedom from the idols that would enslave you. You know what freedom is? I've been pondering this this week. Freedom, what it looks like. Freedom is wanting to obey God. That's what it is. Not this slave-like, I have to, duty, drudgery, no, no, no. Freedom is wanting to, having your heart 
so transformed by the Spirit, and where you love what He commands, where you want to. And so you have this freedom to know and to enjoy God. That is freedom. And so the battle against our sin is the battle to see Jesus. The battle to experience joy in life. And by the way, it is a battle sometimes. That's just for you, for me too. We have to fight for joy. But the battle to be satisfied, the battle to have joy is a battle to see Jesus. So the battle to change is a battle to see Jesus, to see him with the eyes of your heart. So if you want transformation, like if, if, if you really want it, if you're hungry for it today, then Jesus will have to be more real to you now than he ever has been before. For some people, Jesus is just this religious figure, and you have this system of faith called Christianity, and it's just leaving you empty. If you want to really change, he needs to become real to you. His spirit is real. But many you think, but pastor, but what do I, what do, I do when, when the fear is just paralyzing? Look to Jesus. What do I do when I'm overcome with shame and guilt? Look to Jesus. What do I do when I'm in so much pain? It's hard to breathe. Look to Jesus. What do you do when you see so much that has to change? and It's just overwhelming. You don't even know where to start. Look to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep beholding him. Turn your gaze on him. And let go of the pain and the bitterness and the anger. All of those things will lose their grip when you look to Jesus and you experience his presence. Over the next few months, here over the summer, we're going to spend some time considering now this new series called Seeing God. We're going to continue meditating on this powerful truth of seeing Jesus. Next week, we'll look at the next paragraph of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where we're going to see where it says, seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. More of what it means to see Jesus. And then throughout the summer after that, we're going to meditate on who God is and seeing him for who he is and knowing him. And so we'll see how God is magnificent and see his wisdom, his goodness, his mercy, justice, holiness, love, sovereignty, faithfulness, so that we can see who God is, know him, be so enthralled by him. And that's my prayer, that our church, that we would just be thrilled by him the more that we see and know him because he has plans to transform us from glory to glory we will never be the same he wants to change us to reflect him so that other people can see and know him as well God is calling you today do you hear his voice do you see him he loves you. He is calling you to look to him and experience him afresh. Let's pray.
Father, we are thrilled by you, overwhelmed by you. We are stunned that you would love us, that you would reveal yourself to us so that we could know you, see you, and respond with lives of worship. I pray that you would continue to do your work in our lives. May we continue to see you, Jesus, and experience the joy that you have for us. Help us be a church that is truly on mission so that others can see you and experience your joy as well. And we pray it in the name of our King and our first love, Jesus. Amen.